from sleep by the ringing of the cell phone, Robin scrambles to gather up the fragments of her dream, but with each passing moment of the waking world taking root, she finds she's left only with impressions in her mind. Fleeting impressions of the mansion, her roommates parading around naked with the musicians in some sort of unsettling ritual, her inability to call out to them, and a mysterious figure, a woman, whispering in her ear that she can't help them. I tried calling a couple of times before you answered. I'm so sorry to wake you. I just... Brianna? What time is it? I'm really sorry. It's late, I know. It's just... Can you come get me? I need help. What's wrong? I need you to come get me. It's not fun anymore. I just... I want to come home. Where's Christine? She's not leaving. Can you just come get me, please? Yeah, okay. Let me just get dressed. Please, can you just hurry? I don't want to be here anymore. What's going on, Brianna? The whole night's freaking weird, and Christine's being a bitch. She got really mean with me, called me names. I'll tell you the whole story in the car. Please, just get here. Okay, yeah, I'm on my way. I can be there in five. Thank you. At 3 a.m., the bars have emptied out. Everyone has settled in for where they intend to spend the night. The streets are deserted, especially the stretch of road on the outer edge of Cayuga Lake that parallels the cliffs. When Robin reaches Thorn Manor, she finds Brianna alone and loitering in the road at the mouth of the long driveway, as far from the mansion as possible. In her haste, Brianna has a hold of the door handle and hops in before the car barely even comes to a stop. The wreck of her face, a smear of makeup and dried tears, speaks volumes. For her, the party's over. Brianna slouches silently in the front seat, avoiding Robin's gaze. Are you okay? She nods. Everything about her demeanor signals her reluctance to engage. Robin has questions, so many questions, but they can wait. Right now, Brianna seeks refuge in silence, so Robin indulges her, allows her to slip into a wordless cocoon. And together they pull off into the night, leaving the cliffside mansion behind for the safety and normalcy of their apartment. Once home, Robin whips up two cups of hot cocoa. 
Brianna sits on the couch with her legs tucked up tightly towards her chest, but uncurls enough to accept the steaming cocoa. Settling next to her, Robin places her palm on Brianna's back. The cocoa and the gentle reassurance of her touch coax Brianna out of the place behind her eyes where she's retreated. She meets Robin's gaze now for the first time since being picked up in front of Thorn Manor, and slowly she comes back to herself, finds her words. There was more coke tonight, more alcohol. They were playing one of their albums on the stereo, The Thirteenth Key. Christine takes off her clothes, so then we all get naked and we're dancing around. And I'm alive. I'm in the flow. Christine and I, we're kissing everyone. And then we're making out with each other. Things just kind of spun off that way. It felt right in the moment, you know? So then we all link hands and we're laughing and marching around the mansion, up the stairs, through the rooms, back down the stairs. Everett's leading the way. He's wearing this wooden kind of tribal mask he grabbed off the wall. And he's calling out this kind of chant that he's making up off the top of his head. And we all together repeat after him. We carry on like that, going room to room, holding hands, marching along, chanting after Everett and laughing. Laughing so hard, I thought my lungs would split. But then, all of a sudden, this feeling of deja vu hits me like a wave. And I remember what you said I was doing when you found me sleepwalking in the kitchen last night. This is it. This is exactly what I was doing in my sleep. But now I'm doing it for real. It's like some fake ritual, you know? Just playing around. How do you know it's fake? What? Go on. What happened next? When I realize I'm acting out the same scene from my sleepwalking the night before, my head started spinning real bad to the point where I'm nauseous. Everything gets confusing. The music doesn't even sound right anymore. It's sour. Everything seems wrong all of a sudden. Like, nothing makes sense. Next thing I know, they're arguing over who gets Christine. And that's when Everett tells all of them, no one touches this one. She's mine. He claims her like she's some kind of property or something. And Christine, she's all smiles and she's loving this. But I just want to get away. I want to scream, I think. Did they, did they do something to you? Keith, the drummer, he put his hands on me, on my arms, and tried to steer me away. But then Doug jumped in and they started arguing over who gets to sleep with me. And now they're shoving each other around and it's really heated. Everyone's yelling. The whole scene is chaos and I just want to get away. And there's Christine on the stairs, just laughing and, and laughing. I tell her, this isn't right. None of this feels right. I tell her, we should go. She starts arguing with me, saying I'm ruining everything. She calls me a selfish bitch. She isn't herself, Robin. 
I've never seen her act like this. I'm upset now, really upset, and she lays into me, making fun of me for crying. So I run for the door and they're calling me names, some of them. I got out of there fast and out to the road, away from the mansion and away from all of them. That's when I called you. I'm glad you did. You did the right thing. We thought they were awesome because they're rock stars, Robin. We thought they were so cool because they're famous, but they're really just assholes. That's all they are. And now Christine is an asshole too. We've got to talk to her. Get her away from them. Yeah, you talk to her. Do whatever you want. I'm done with her. She can go to hell for all I care. Morning sun arrives at Thorn Manor once again, harsh and glaring through the array of windows, relentlessly exposing the excesses of last night. The bitter, earthy scent of freshly brewed coffee fills the air. Dylan rubs his eyes, digging at the pain that sits in the recesses of his eye socket. He squints and shuffles through the house, down the stairs, past a slew of scattered articles of clothing and empty beer bottles strewn about. Shirtless and hungover, he follows the source of the music straight to the back room they've converted into a makeshift recording studio. It's there that he finds Doug. You're at it early. Yep. You put that coffee on already? Mm Mm-hmm. Man, this place is a mess. Looks like a war zone out there. Yeah. If only we had a cleaning lady who could take care of something like that. What's up your ass? Nothing. Not a thing. Just playing my music. (laughs) Yeah, okay. What did we come here for, Dylan? And I'm not just being a dick, I'm being serious. That's a serious question, and I'm wanting an answer. Because I sure as shit can't figure it out. Can you? You know, I thought we were here to lay down some tracks. To record the album. I mean, that is what we talked about and what we all agreed on, but... I guess that's changed, huh? You know the history of this place. The shit that went down here. And you know the occult is at the core of our music. It's who we are. That's our thing, man, and it's not just about slapping mystical symbols on our album covers for the sake of marketing. We have to live it. We gotta walk the darker path, man. Yeah, that's all great. That's great. And what that amounts to is Everett sitting around in the basement all day with his tuning forks, waiting to be inspired or the spirits to talk through him or whatever the shit he's doing, while we just lounge around in our creepy mansion staycation, not making music. Oh, and then at night, it's party time, and Everett bangs the cleaning lady. What occult path is that exactly? Because I'd really like to know how all of this is helping our music. I'm feeling really inspired now. How about you, Dylan? Oh, I get it. This is about that girl you were hooking up with. Because she walked out last night. No tail for you, and now you're all salty. Yeah, that's it. You got me. See now how you're all pissed off and edgy? You got that angst in you. Maybe that's part of the energy here in this place. Think about it. Maybe that's the point, Doug. This angst you got. Don't let that go. Unleash it in session. Let the beast run. I can talk to Everett, make sure we do recording sessions more regularly. But coming to this mansion was the right thing. Hell, you got something to say now, don't you? Say it through those guitar strings. You're real shit, you know that? (laughs) That I am, but I'm right and you know it.
That's your wake-up call. Sounds like your band is trying to tell you something. What time is it? Yep, don't answer that. It doesn't matter. It's late. It's time for me to do the walk of shame. You're coming back tonight, right? If you want me to. I want you to. I was hoping you'd say that. Look, I'm really sorry about my friend last night. She's cool and all. She's just a little weird, you know? Forget it. It's cool. I mean, I doubt she'll come back again. Whatever. As long as you're here. I would do anything to be here, Everett. This is where I belong. Yeah? Good girl. (laughs) Christine wasn't always known for making the smartest choices, but she was far from dumb. After the shenanigans of last night, she knew to avoid the apartment. She knew there would be fallout the minute she bumped into one of her roommates, and so she steered clear. Robin, for one, was relieved at this. She was tired and in no mood for conflict. Just as any long-term friends were bound to experience, there had been minor squabbles in their past, but the girls had always been able to smooth them out afterwards. This schism seemed bigger, though, and Robin worried the path back from this might be a little thornier. No doubt aware of Brianna's schedule, Christine laid low for the greater part of the afternoon until Brianna left for her shift at the brewery. It wasn't until then that Robin heard Christine slip into the apartment and make a beeline directly for her room. Robin made no move to intercept her. There would need to be a hard talk with Christine, but if she approached things too soon, she would likely be met with evasiveness and resistance. No. They all needed a little time to let things settle, let the wounds scab over. That being the case, there was still a sense of urgency behind the warning that needed to be delivered. With each passing day, Christine was growing more enmeshed in the band and with Thorn Manor. It was one thing to play peacemaker and try to bridge the rift between them. It was another feat altogether to try and convince Christine to abandon her newfound friends. Robin felt a lot less confident about that and grappled with how to even approach the topic without getting discounted immediately. And then, of course, there was the possibility that Christine would approach her first, try to discuss the events of last night. She felt as if she should be prepared for this, for Christine's knock at her door. But the penitent knock never came. Instead, she heard the front door as Christine slipped back out without a word. The tension in Robin's chest eased, and she set her resolve towards having the conversation with Christine tomorrow. It was almost certain that she would return to Thorn Manor that evening to spend the night. That would give Robin another night to mull it over, to rehearse her approach. Perhaps then, Brianna might be past her resentment enough to participate in the discussion, too. Two voices expressing their concern held much more weight than one. While Robin was right in her assumption that Christine intended to return to Thorn Manor again that evening, what she didn't predict was the one stop Christine made along the way. During change of shift before dinner rush, Christine knew she would find Brianna setting up bar for the nightly shift, and that before things got busy, this would be the best time to approach. Hey. So, what does a girl need to do to get a drink around here? What do you want? Look, I'm sorry about last night. Yeah? Good for you. I'm working here, so... Come on, Brianna. Give me a chance. I just... I didn't mean what I said to you. I don't know why I said that. I just... I guess I was just high. That's supposed to make me feel better? I'm trying here. What do you want? I just... I just want us to be good again. You're important to me. You're my best friend. You've been since middle school. Am I, Christine? 
It really didn't feel that way last night. I know. I just got caught up. It was messed up. The whole thing was messed up. And I'm telling you, they laced the... They laced the coat with something. They did not. They wouldn't do that. You know, this has got to be the shittiest apology I've ever gotten. And just so you know, I've gotten a lot of shitty apologies over the years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am. It's just this thing with Everett. I'm his girl. And it means something. This is my big chance to be someone, to get out of this town. I just don't want to blow it. I want him to like me, like, really like me. You think he's going to take you with him once they're all done here? The Everett Nicholas? <laughs> Robin was right. He's got girls in every city just like you lined up to throw themselves at him just for a taste of his life and his fame. I hate to burst your bubble, honey, but we're just party girls to them. Generic, replaceable, forgettable. No, Brianna. This means something to him, too. He told me that. Oh, I'm sure he did. Rockstar or not, any boy will tell you the same thing to get in your pants. I mean, you should know that better than... Ouch. Okay, so... That wasn't fair. No, no, I I had it coming. Look, I really hope things work out the way you want them to. I do. But you need to be realistic. I don't want to see you get hurt. If I didn't know any better, I'd say it sounds like you still care about me. Uh, I'm trying real hard to stay angry here. How do you feel about coming out from behind that bar? and giving a hug to your best friend. Hmm. That's better. Are we good? What is that? What are those marks on your arms? Oh, uh, that's nothing. And what is this? Christine, are these cuts? Is that a bite mark on your neck? It's consensual. It's just, you know, it's how we play. Play? With Everett? What kind of games are you playing where you end up with these kinds of marks on your arms and legs? Trust me, it's fine. It's okay. I don't know. It doesn't look okay to me. Are you sure? Yeah, no, I, I like it. It's... we're intense, that's all. Look, just don't mention it to Robin. You know what she's like, she'll freak out. Oh, come on. No. Don't put me in that position. What position? It's nothing. It's harmless fun. I'm not asking you to lie. Just don't volunteer it. That's all I'm saying. If she happens to see these tiny little marks and asks about it, then I'll explain it to her myself, I swear. <sighs> don't worry so much. It'll give you wrinkles. I'm telling you, it's fine. Those were the last words she ever spoke to Brianna. And that would be the last time either Brianna or Robin ever saw Christine alive again. The next day, Robin and Brianna had a talk. Although reluctant, Brianna agreed to her role in what felt like an intervention. They hashed out the manner and the timing on confronting Christine, intending to express how all of this came from a place of concern and love. But the day came and went, and if Christine did the same, it was brief and unnoticed. Was she still dodging them and the talk that she knew was coming? With the passing of time, 
Robin's anxiety grew over Christine's increasing immersion at Thorn Manor. The recurring dreams, Brianna's deja vu, the ominous warning from Robin's client about that cursed place, all of it started to form an ugly picture that left her deeply unsettled and further pervaded her dreams. The dreamer moves from room to room in the dark, threading her way through Thorn Manor, all the while aware she's not alone. Despite the high-ceiling halls, the marble-tiled floors, the regal curtain windows and opulent decor, there is an evil lurking here. She feels it in her bones. Just as sure as she knows her very presence here puts her in peril. But despite the dangers, the dreamer is determined to find something here, or rather, someone. She glides past a grand window offering a glimpse into the yard. The way the moonlight paints the lawn makes it look wet and sickly. A little further off, a feline congregation sits poised in the grass facing the window. From their vantage point, they study her intently. An expectant audience anticipating something grand about to happen. The big show they await is coming and, judging by the knot of dread in her gut, it's going to be something shocking and abhorrent. The gathering of cats draws her attention for just a moment, but that's enough of a distraction for the dreamer to miss the half-naked man wearing a wooden tribal mask lurch out from around the corner. By the time she notices him, he's rushing her, his bare feet slipping across the tiled floor, the axe in his hands hoisted aloft. She recoils, stumbling backwards, nearly losing her balance. She tries to scream, but the scream sticks in her throat and sputters. When the axe swings, it lands a heavy blow to the side of her neck. He reels the axe back in. It doesn't come away cleanly, and she sees its blade coated with her blood. Her hand shoots up to her neck in the spot of the impact, where she touches wetness. A gushing wetness that immediately covers her hand. She grips the wound tightly, as if trying to dam up the crimson sea, but it surges, slipping through her fingers. There's a moment of stunned disbelief as she gawks at her attacker, while he readies the axe for another strike. He's killing me, she realizes. He's killing me. That's when adrenaline vaults through her like an electrical current. That's when she snaps into action. She turns to run, but the tiled floor is slippery with blood and her feet go out from beneath her. She hits the floor hard, her breath momentarily snatched away. She crawls, sliding belly down through the blood, gripping at the floor with her fingertips of one hand in an attempt to pull herself along. Her left hand, meanwhile, remains clamped on her neck, covering the gushing wound, holding her head in place as it seems to want to swivel away in an unnatural position. Nothing but raw panic now as she gasps like a fish out of water as two bare feet step around her and cut off her egress. She wants to look up, to face her attacker, but if she dares to move her head in that direction, her neck may split open even more. All she can see are his feet and her blood rushing to meet them on the tiled floor as she waits for the next blow of the axe to land. When it does, it comes down hard on her already savage neck. The world blurs into a dizzying spin before coming into focus several feet away. From her new vantage point, she gains a clear view of her own headless corpse, surrounded by an expanding pool of blood. She sees now the shirtless killer in the tribal mask standing over her twitching body, and then blackness swirls around the edges of her vision before swarming in to take it all away. Plunged now into darkness and into a sensation of absolute cold, the dreamer recognizes that her death is upon her. And she awakens with a scream. Sinner's Moon was produced by Frank Jucknowitz, Sean McKnight, and William Rizzo. 
Written, directed, and narrated by Frank Jucknowitz. Audio engineering, editing, and sound design provided by Sean McKnight. Musical supervisor, David Parsons. The title song, Sinner's Moon, was composed and performed by E. Lawson. This episode starred Katie Walsh as Robin, Eric Francis Melaragni as Everett, Beverly Gunn as Brianna, Shelby Hightower as Christine, Martin Carr as Dylan, and Jason Nathaniel Overdorf as Doug. For full episode credits or to learn more about Sinner's Moon, visit the Sinner's Moon page on our website, frankhorror.com.